I remember when I, one of the first times I preached when James and I were both pastors at a church in London called North Park, and I preached about the kingdom, and I was still just young, just learning about this whole mega theme that Jesus always preached about. And I remember, James, you said to me, do you think you'll always preach about the kingdom? And so it's kind of cool that like 12 years later, that you've invited me to come and preach in this series that you guys are doing called Stories of the Kingdom. That's it, right? Stories of the Kingdom. How many of you realize that the kingdom is like the central proclamation that Jesus makes? Like when Jesus talks, and whenever you read something that Jesus is talking about, you should think, how does this fit into his central theme, which is the kingdom of God? And we can't get into it too deeply today, but when you think about the kingdom, just think of this. Think that Jesus is saying that the life of heaven is going to begin to flood into the earth. The life of heaven, it's like the life of heaven is being planted in the earth and that the the beginning uh, growth of the kingdom is beginning. And so where we live right now, post-Jesus, is in a world where there is this old world of darkness that is passing away, And there is this new world of light, the kingdom of God, that is slowly beginning to stir in our hearts and slowly beginning to manifest in the world. This is the central thing that Jesus is always talking about. And what he's always doing is he's inviting people, would you like to make a shift? Would you like to change your allegiances? Would you like to turn, he used the word repent, and believe that this is actually happening? This is his first words in the book of Mark, the first gospel that we have. Jesus comes and it says he begins declaring the good news, the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is here. New life is here. The life of heaven, the life that you were created to live is here now. Would you like to begin? Would you like to begin to live this life here and now? If you would like to, just repent and believe that it's actually happening. And Jesus himself was the king of this kingdom that was beginning. And so when James invited me to come and preach today, I was like, well, what, what's the topic going to be? And he's like, well, the parables of the kingdom. I'm like, my two favorite topics, the kingdom and then parables about the kingdom. What are parables? Parables are stories that reveal truth to us, but have like a bit of a mask over them. This is how Jesus tends to have taught about the kingdom. It's almost like the kingdom was too bright for people to really like pick up on. If Jesus was just to bluntly explain it, people would be like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't want to see it. And so instead he, he masked it. He like hid it behind a veil of these stories, these parables. It was a way of, of uh, there's, a, there's a poem actually, I want to show you a piece of a poem by Emily Dickinson that uh, Eugene Peterson actually named a book after it, but the poem is called Tell All the Truth But Tell It Slant, and in one of the lines of the poem she says this, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. I think this is what Jesus is doing with his parables. He's like, the truth of what's really happening and who I really am is way too bright, and so what I need to do is dazzle you gradually with the truth that I am God in the flesh and that the life of heaven is going to begin to flood into the earth. I think this is what Jesus does with his parables. And so as we look at the parable that we're going to look at today called the prodigal son, what I really want to do is just just set it up for you. We're going to read through the parable, which I'm sure many of you know. And if you don't know, well, then what a treat if you've never heard this parable before. And then I just want to make some observations about this parable and hopefully have this parable dazzle you gradually. 
This is what this parable has been doing to me over the last, I don't know, my entire life, really. You first hear this parable and you think you get it, and then you hear it again and you, you learn more, and then you read things and you learn more. And so I've been doing this for, for decades now with this parable, and what I want to bring to you is my best observations from it in hopes that it will dazzle you gradually and that you'll leave here today with a different worldview, a different view of who you are, of who God is, and what it means to be his ambassadors in the world. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, and before we get to the parable, I got to do the setup for the parable. I got to give you the setting in which Jesus speaks the parable, because the parable doesn't just exist on its own. It's not like an island. There's always a setting into which Jesus teaches. And the setting into which Jesus teaches is this. If you want to throw up uh, the first couple verses here, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Next verse. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The beginning of chapter 15 puts us in the setting of a picnic. Jesus is having a picnic. Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. So you've got to keep this in mind. Jesus is having like a nice time with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards. He's with all these people that must have been thinking, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe this guy wants to spend time with us. And they're having a lovely time. But then off to the side, like over here, are some Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they come upon this picnic and they're like, what is happening here? This Jesus fellow who's been causing a ruckus, this Jesus fellow, who, who is he eating? He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. The picture that we get all throughout the Gospels is that the Pharisees and teachers of the law are constantly befuddled by Jesus. They're always watching him, and nothing that he does makes sense to them. And I'm sure that this scene also made no sense to them. They're like, Jesus, why are you, why are you making it so easy for them? Why are you making it so easy for these sinners to like get access to you? And Jesus, how come you don't want to spend more time with us, by the way? Why don't you send these sinners off to the temple? Because we have a whole system for them and to deal with their sin. They can go off to the temple. Why don't you come hang out with us and we can break down the nuances of the law? How come, how come you're making it so easy for them? And as they're muttering off to the side, you kind of get the picture that like they're close enough that Jesus sees them and he hears their muttering and he wants to invite them into the kingdom. He wants to invite them into this feast, but he can't just tell them, you guys should come sit down. He has to dazzle them gradually. And so he begins to tell some parables. First, he gives two small ones before we get to the major one that we're going to look at today. He tells one parable. He says, imagine a shepherd. Imagine a shepherd has a hundred sheep and the shepherd loses one of them. Won't he leave the 99 who are safe to go and get that one lost sheep? And when he comes back with that lost sheep, doesn't everybody rejoice that the lost sheep has been found? Isn't that true? And then he, and he says, this is what it's like in heaven. When one sinner repents, that all of heaven rejoices. And you imagine he tells this story and everyone there is like, totally, like I'm the sheep. Oh, I love this story. And you just imagine Jesus is looking over at them. And then he begins another one. Imagine, imagine a woman has 10 coins. And she loses one in her house. 
Won't she flip over everything in her house, open up every cushion to find that one coin? And when she finds that lost coin, doesn't she invite all of the neighborhood over to rejoice and celebrate? And Jesus is like, this is what it's like in heaven. When lost people are found. And you imagine he's looking at them again. And I imagine after these first two parables that they might have been thinking, yeah, great, but you're talking about sheep and coins. It's not their fault. It's not, it's, not, it's not the sheep's fault that it wandered off and got lost. It's not the coin's fault that somebody lost it in the house. Jesus, the people that you're sitting with, it's their fault that they are who they are. They made decisions. They made their bed. Why don't you make them sleep in it? We're not talking about sheep and coins. To which, I imagine, Jesus then launches in to the parable of what we often call the prodigal son, Sometimes we call it the the parable of the two brothers or the parable of the loving father. And so I'm going to read this for you now. It's a little bit longer, but I, I decided I needed to read it because I'm hoping that there's at least one person here who's never heard it. And so I can't just assume that you've heard it. And so for anybody who hasn't heard this parable before, this is for you. You can follow along with me on the screen. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my my share of the inheritance. So he divided his property between the two of them. A man has two sons. One day his younger son comes to him and says, I want the money. I want the money I would get when you're dead. Basically, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead so I could get the money. But if there's any way I can get the money before you're dead, I'll take it now and I'll, I'll head off. And the father, strangely, gives the money to his son. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything takes the money from his father, he goes off, he wastes it all in wild living, and he ends up hanging out with pigs, wishing that he could eat what the pigs are eating. Finally, when this younger brother comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The younger son decides to come home, and he receives this amazing welcome from his father. And now we get the third character of the story. We've got the younger brother, the father, and now we're going to hear about this older brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother began, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Jesus tells this parable in this context, and the parable just ends. And so now I want to give you some observations, some beautiful observations from this story. First, what are the words of the younger brother when he's lost? What's his internal monologue? Because the story tells us. The story tells us what he's feeling and what he's thinking while he's down eating with the pigs. He plans to say to his father, I know that I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I know that I am so unworthy. I know that I am so unworthy. What he is voicing here in his internal monologue is what we call shame. Shame is when you, you don't just believe that you've done bad things. Shame is when you believe that you are a bad person. That the things that you have done have now affected and infected your identity. And so he plans to go to his father and say to his father in his opening speech, I'm so unworthy. I know that like, I'm not even any longer your son. I know that I've lost that status, so I'm hoping to just return home as maybe a servant. I love that Jesus puts these words on the younger son's lips because they would have been the feeling of the people at the picnic with Jesus. When they heard Jesus say this part of the story, they must have all been like, that's us. We're unworthy. Yeah. We, Jesus, we get it. We get, this, we get why you're telling this story. You're telling this story so that we recognize that what we've done has lowered our status in whatever this movement that you're doing, whatever this kingdom thing that you're doing. We, we get it. We get why you're telling this story because this is, this is about us and we, we are unworthy. I, I love that he, he tells this little part because it, it helps us tap into the story too because any of us that are honest can admit that we've felt the same way when we mess up when we get caught in cycles of sin and we do the thing that we said we'd never do again and we do it again, we look at the stuff that we're not supposed to look at and we, we do it again, it's like we're just trapped there and we're like, God, we're so unworthy. This is what we feel. This is what, this is what everybody that you know at some point or another feels. Every neighbor that you have that you wish was here this morning, every family member that you wish was here this morning, at some point in the quiet spaces in their life, this is their internal monologue. I wish I could go into that place, but I'm so unworthy. I wish I could reconcile with you guys, but I just feel so unworthy. 
the story, like Jesus just opens it up and he just, just this little, this character of this younger brother just resonates so deeply with us, which is why the response of the father is so healing. The response of the father, what, what's the response of the father when the younger brother, when he begins to come home? Does he come home to a father with his arms crossed? Oh, well, we got a speech. You better have a speech. I can't wait to hear this whole speech. You're a servant. You bet you're a servant. How about you work until you get all of our money back plus interest? Then maybe we can talk about you sitting at our table once again. That's what the younger brother's anticipating, but we don't see a father with his arms crossed. Instead, we see a father who, when he sees his son a long way off, how do you see someone a long way off? You must have been looking for them. And so as you imagine the story, you have to imagine a father who every day sat staring out the window, hoping that today would be the day when his younger son returns home. And on this day, when he sees him a long way off, he can't contain his joy and his love, and he runs out to meet him. And before the son can get out his entire speech, when he's only like halfway done, the father's like, shut up! I don't need to hear anymore! Like, put, he puts a robe on him, a ring on him, sandals on his feet. He's like, we are going to throw a party tonight because you're back. You were dead and you're alive again. You were lost, and now you are found. This is worldview-shaping stuff. If you grew up in church your whole life, you've heard this a million times, and so my attempt this morning is to get you to hear it anew. But this is worldview-shaping stuff. To hear that this is how God feels about you. Not when you're a dumb lost sheep and accidentally wandered away. Not when you're a coin who had nothing to do with being lost. No, no, when you were the cocky younger brother who demanded money and went and wasted it all, and you're like, is there a place for me still here? Jesus tells this story, he's like, absolutely. And the welcome that you will receive when you come back home will be so extravagant beyond your wildest dreams. I love how unapologetic Jesus makes the Father. The Father is so unapologetic. There's no like rules and lists. There's no earning that has to be done. It's just your home back where you belong. I'm so overjoyed that you are back. This, this should shape our worldview. When we think about what it means when we've messed up, how does God feel? How does God feel about me? He feels like this. Just imagine this story. This is Jesus dazzling us gradually with what the grace of God looks like. It is beyond our wildest imaginations. So the younger brother comes home and he receives this great welcome. But then the older brother, the older brother, he's, he's off in the fields. He's off working as he's been working while his little brother was gone. And he hears this party's been going on. And he asks somebody, oh, what's, what's the party for? And like, your brother, your brother's come back home. We're throwing a big party here. Your father's killed the fattened calf for him. You know, the brother's like, what? And he doesn't want to go into the party, which hopefully you can see the parallels between the Pharisees and teachers of the law and the picnic that Jesus is having with the sinners and the prostitutes, that the older brother decides to stand outside of the party. And when the father comes out to meet him, which is another bit of grace, that the father, just as he goes out to the younger brother, he also goes out to the older brother. And the older brother has a speech prepared too. 
All these years, I've been busting my butt to make this thing work. I've been trying to get us back the money that the little brothers took away and wasted. Like, and now he comes back, and this is how you treat him? You never threw a party like this for me and my friends. What we hear from the older brother is that his heart isn't that different from the little brother. He was playing the same game as the little brother. I just want my dad's stuff. How do I get my dad's stuff? The younger brother's like, I'm just gonna ask for it, because I'm the baby, and I just ask for stuff, and people give it to me. But the older brother, the older brother's like, I will work, and I will earn it, and he will have to give it to me, because it will be mine. This is, he's revealing his heart. Does he care about his father? Does he care about the family? Doesn't seem like it. It's almost like this is news to the father, too. It's like the father's like, what do you mean? Like, you're part of the family. Everything that I have is yours. But how, can, how come you can't see that your brother, who is dead and is alive again, who is lost and is found, how, how come you can't see that we should, we should be celebrating? He's like, your response is, this is so unfair. Your response should be, yep, that's my dad. That's what my dad's like. He's full of grace. It's full of grace for me my whole life. Of course, it's going to be full of grace for my little brother. This is so great. We're part of a family. I'm so glad the family is getting back together. The older brother actually reveals part of his heart, too, in a little nuance that you may not catch. He doesn't refer to his brother as his brother. He says, when this son of yours took the money and wasted it in wild living, he doesn't see his brother as his brother anymore. He's just like, this son of yours. And when the father speaks, the father tries to put things back to right. And he says, no, no, no. When your brother was lost, your brother has returned home. Which I think is a little dig. Once again, if we're at the picnic scene and Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're saying, how come the sinners and the prostitutes and the drunkards, how come they get to eat with you? And Jesus is trying to slowly dazzle them with the idea, not sinners, guys, your brothers and sisters. Can you, can you feel what that might have felt like if they were ready, if, as James said, they had ears to hear this story? Another observation that's really interesting from this story is that when we tend to, 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 to speak, we usually speak in an ascending order of things. So for instance, we'll say that something was, something was warm, maybe we'll say it was lukewarm, then it was warm, then it was hot, then it was burning hot. And so you might say that someone wasn't feeling well, and then they got sick, and then they were in the hospital, and then they died, right? You kind of like, you, we order things in a certain order, which is why it's interesting that twice in the story, the father says something in, a, in what is, should be a strange order to us. He says, your, your brother was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. If we we're going to tell things in an ascending order, you would begin with lost and then dead, right? Because you think lost isn't as bad as dead, and Jesus seems to flip these, perhaps, because he wants us to see that there's a condition that is worse than being dead, and it's being lost. It's being so lost in life that you wish you were dead, that life becomes a sort of hell on earth for you. 
Jesus is like, he was dead, now he's alive, but, but he was lost, which is even heavier, and now he's found. There's a condition worse than being dead, and there's a condition better than being just alive. There's a condition better than just being alive with breath in your lungs, and that condition is to be found and to know the love of your heavenly Father, to be welcomed back home. I got an amen a minute, a second ago there. That's somebody who knows that there's a condition better than just being alive, and it's being found. Two more observations. One, and you may have picked up on this, Jesus just ends the story on a cliffhanger. The story doesn't have like a neat, wrapped-up conclusion. The story ends. The, the father goes out to the older brother. How, your, your brother was dead. He's alive again. He was lost as he's found. We had to celebrate. And then the story ends. Which if you're reading Luke's account with your imagination... I think the idea is that then the parable fades away. Like if it was a movie, the parable scene would fade away and where would we be left? With Jesus at the picnic, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law outside. And it's as if Jesus is inviting them, would you guys like to finish the parable? Jesus tells a story that brings them right to the present moment that they are in, and he doesn't finish the story because the invitation is, do you guys want to finish this story? I don't want to tell you what the older brother does. I want you to be the older brother because that's who you are, and I want you to do what the older brother should do. And in the two parables before this parable, Jesus gives them the answer. When the lost sheep is found, what happens? Everybody rejoices. When the coin is found, what happens? All the neighbors come over and they rejoice. He tells these two parables with these patterns and he gets to the third one and he's like, and the older brother? What? He's just, like, he's just at the table. He's like, so how about it, boys? When I tell this story with my, with my sons, we, we often act it out. So I have two sons and we'll act out this story. And we always make sure that we finish it the way that I believe Jesus wants us to finish the parable. That when the father goes out to the older brother, that the older brother comes in, and then we all dance and we hold hands and we celebrate the idea that the family is back together. One last observation this morning from this story. And I get this from, from the, great, the great pastor Tim Keller that maybe many of you have heard of. But I heard him first make this observation about this parable. He says that, that the proper ending of the parable would be that the older brother would come in and celebrate. But right from the beginning of the parable, the parable's kind of, kind of broken in the sense that there was a rhythm established with the first two parables that doesn't happen in the third one. A sheep goes missing. A shepherd goes and looks for the sheep. A coin goes missing. The woman goes and looks for the coin. A brother and a son goes missing. Nobody goes and looks for him. If you're following the rhythm and the repetition, this would have hit you. You're like, that's weird. How come nobody... Yeah, somebody should have went. Somebody should have went. Somebody definitely should have went and looked for the little brother, which then raises the question, who should have went? Who should have went to look for the little brother, the younger son? In that culture, it wouldn't have been the father. It would have been the job of the older brother. 
to go and find his little brother. Which is to say, perhaps, that just as he, I think, almost always does, Jesus has embedded himself within the parable. In, I think, almost all of his parables, you can find where Jesus is actually hiding in the parable. And in this one, he's hiding as the better version of the story. The version of the story where a younger brother goes off and gets lost, and his older brother comes and pays his debt and brings him back home. Jesus, as Christians have reflected on this for, for hundreds of years, has hidden himself in this story so that we would say, yeah, like there's one version of the story where the, where the older brother at least welcomes his little brother back home, but, but we actually live in an even better version of this story where Jesus, our older brother, comes and finds us in our dead lostness and he brings us back home. He carries us back home to the Father. It's a version of the story where the love of the Father, the unapologetic, extravagant love of the Father is actually mirrored in the love of the older brother. And so I think that this story can challenge us in a couple of ways. The most obvious way is to say, are, are we, are you, a welcoming group of people? That when lost people enter in through these doors and through the doors of your homes, do they experience this unexpected, unapologetic, extravagant love? Jesus seems to be inviting these Pharisees to do the same thing with these sinners and prostitutes. That's one version of the story, the application. But I think that there's an even better application, which is not just to be really good at welcoming people, which is to say, if you ever make it here, we'll have the coffee on, which is great. I love coffee and I love a nice welcome. It's great. But it seems that to really reflect on this story and what Jesus does with his own life is to not just be welcomers, but to join the search party. To say, my brother is lost. I'm not just going to wait for him to show back up. I'm going to go get him. Because that's the better story. And that's the story that Jesus lives out. As God, who leaves his throne to become flesh as a human, to die for our sins, to carry us back home to the Father. And so maybe this morning we just can end with the idea of, and the prayer of, God, would you make me more aware of my lost little brother? And, and God, give me creativity of how to reach them because I have no idea what it even means to go and find them because you've tried to go find them before and they wanted nothing to do with you. They wanted to stay with the pigs. They wanted to stay lost. But that should be our heart. Not just, hey, if you ever make it up here and you have a good speech for what you did wrong. No, no, no. We want to go out and get people and bring them back. There's a great story that uh, the pastor, uh, Tony Campolo, tells. And uh, he talks about being in a bar or a restaurant in Hawaii at 3 a.m. in the morning. And he's a traveling speaker, so I'd imagine that maybe he had a gig and maybe was waiting for a flight. Who knows? But he's at, he's at a restaurant, like a little diner, at 3 a.m. in the morning. And, and he's talking with the guy that's like behind the counter who owns the place. And, and a group of prostitutes walk in. And the prostitutes are, are you know, they're... I don't know if they're beginning or ending their day of work. Who knows? But they're, they're talking, and, and he overhears that one of them says, like, like, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. 
And the rest of the prostitutes are like, who cares? Who cares about you and your birthday? Nobody cares about birthdays. We don't live that kind of life. And the prostitutes are there for a little bit longer. They eat, and then they leave. And, and Tony says to the, to the owner of the, of the diner, he's like, do they come in here every night? And he's like, yeah, pretty much every night they come in. He's like, we should get a cake and have like a little birthday party for that one. The diner owner's like, cool, okay, okay, let's do it. So they, so they do it. So they get a cake, and the next night when the prostitutes come in, they have a party. And Tony's like, there's a, there's a cake, it's for you. And, and like the girl is just overwhelmed with this gift. And she's sobbing, and, and she doesn't even want to eat the cake, she just wants to bring it home, like, like to remember this moment. And, and that at the end of it all, Tony says, can I just pray? Can I just say like a really simple prayer before you guys go? And he prays, and then they leave, and it's just Tony in the diner with the diner owner. And the diner owner leans over and he's like, you never said that you were a pastor. And Tony's like, ah, yeah, like I, I kind of kind of am. And he's like, what kind of what church are you the pastor of? He's like, I'm the pastor of a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes and diners at 3 a.m. in the morning. And the diner owner kind of sadly says, nah, no, you're not. Because if that kind of church existed, I'd be a part of it. Which is a bit of a scathing remark for us to hear. But it's also a reminder to us how many people aren't dead and lost and longing for home. They just haven't found a church where that exists. How many people aren't lost that you know? How many people haven't wandered off and they don't know where to go? They don't know where they would find welcome and love and grace. And all they find is a church that's building up walls instead of tearing them down. What would it be like for you guys to be that kind of church that finds lost people and welcomes them back home Hey, do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know what heaven is like? Well, we're trying to build a little taste of heaven right here on earth. And when they ask us, because people always ask, why are you guys like this? Where does this love and grace come from? How how do you you get the energy to do this? And we would just respond, because he found me. Because I was once like you, at the bottom of a bottle, back on the website that I swore I'd never go to again, back at the Amazon page where I just bought a whole much more crap that I don't need, while there's people in the world that don't have anything to eat, back trying to find my identity and my sexuality in power, in money. I was once like you, and he found me. And he put me on his shoulders, and he carried me back home. What I'm doing here is just trying to display to you the same love that was displayed to me. That's the deepest passion of my heart is that we would be filled with churches, that this country would be filled with churches displaying that kind of grace and that slowly people would get a glimpse of who their heavenly father is and what life in the kingdom of God can look like. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to sing one last song before we go. Jesus, we thank you for this parable.
May it dazzle us gradually with the revelation of how much you love us. God, for anybody that's here or watching online that doesn't know this love, may it be so real to them right now, so real as if they were sitting at that picnic with you 2,000 years ago. And may you impress upon them that they are welcome in the kingdom of God. And God, for those of us who know that there are lost brothers in our lives, lost sisters in our lives, would you give us the creativity that we need? The creativity to know how to reach them. The move that we need to make to open their hearts. And Holy Spirit, would you go before us, softening their hearts, opening their ears, and empowering us to be your ambassadors. We ask for all these things in Jesus' strong, resurrected name. Amen.